But right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Now live. Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On the Para-X Radio Network. And tonight's guest needs no introduction because he's our co-host, Jason Colwell. And tonight we're going to talk about our experimentation, which I haven't seen anyone else do on the internet, so you heard it from us first, is on using the paranormal investigation techniques in various flavors of ritual magic. And without further ado... How you doing today, Jason? Well, I certainly didn't have to try too hard to be here, did I? No, not really. You're here every week. Hey, before we get rolling on topic, though, you've got something coming up Friday. That's right. Well, it's actually Saturday. Oh, yes, yeah, Saturday. Uh, Saturday will be at everyone in Columbus or the greater Ohio area. I'll be at Enchanted Elements um, doing a talk and an actual hypnosis uh, group session on finding your inner advisor and using that inner advisor as a way to enhance your spiritual abilities. Not only enhance your spiritual abilities, but find out and trust your own intuition regarding making decisions. It should be a great class, uh, and it should be one of those classes that leaves everyone stunned, again, like most of my classes do, uh, and what you can actually do when you just pay attention to yourself. It's really kind of been a theme for a couple of years, so. Stunned? What do you mean by stunned? Stunned like, wow, my life is great, or stunned like, I'm scared of you? Probably both, but usually more like they'll realize, <laughs> unfortunately, they'll realize they can change their life in radical ways, and that usually makes them scared of me for showing them that fact. Most people like to be somewhat <laughs> blind about the fact that they have personal responsibility and ultimately we have responsibility to change our own lives if we don't like what's going on and that's very scary for a lot of people and let's not forget coming up next month coming quicker than we think convocation 2012 in detroit michigan at the new location of the double tree by hilton on 5801 southfield expressway 
What, is, does the Detroit just bring out the ghetto in you? You know, like you're like, oh, blah 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 blah, blah. staccato. What's it's up in, with that? It's in Detroit, Michigan, yo. Oh, they got the largest drum circle in the Midwest. You know what I'm saying? Can that's, you not even, that's not even right, man. That's, that's just wrong. But it, convocation should be cool this year. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to say Jason will be doing a ritual with me there. Uh, we really took over the most hardcore ritual slot, and I've had it for a couple years, and Quantum Life Science has had it, which is 5 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 5, uh, not 5, uh, Friday night, 10 p.m. ritual. Uh, it's the 23rd to the 26th, Detroit, Michigan. I'll have it up on my website. I've just been really busy. However, we're getting less busy. Um, next week, uh, we're going to have, uh, we'll put her full name up, but it's Mambo Pat, and she is a fully in, another fully initiated Asagwe um, priestess, and she's awesome. And her ceremonies are awesome, and we're going to talk about uh, doing ceremonies the traditional way, and it's it, it'll be awesome. And then after that, the week following week, we have Lon Milo Duquette. Ooh, we've been promising that for a long time. That's right. Um, and so the Godfather. The guy. Uh, that's right. The ceremonial Godfather comes on our show and blesses us. Uh, after the week for the week after that, will be actually uh, Valentine's Day, and we do have something special planned. We're going to have a show on tantra and sex magic, which we will keep it. 18, around 18, and clean. Uh, but for that show, uh, returning guest Julian uh, Vane is going to come back on the show, and he was awesome the last time show, and he's going to come back. And what I didn't know at the time was, in addition to those wonderful books he wrote before, he is a fully initiated tantrika, uh, which is the Hindu style of sex magic, which Sting made popular in the 80s. Mm-mm-mm. Fun times in the new year. Man, do you remember the 80s? Is this a trick question? Do I have to answer? Uh, well, because if you do, we weren't at the same party. That's what I'm saying. Trying to out me and stuff? Anyway, moving on. I'm not going to admit to like how much bad stuff we did in the 80s. <laughs> Man, we were little kids. Come on. Speak for yourself, man. I'm a little bit older than you. Not by much, but go on. No, not by much, but, you know, I was, like, rolling my car. I was rolling the car out the driveway, made sure it was in neutral with no, like, you know, pushed it out of the driveway and stuff when my mom was asleep so we could go to Medusa's nightclub in Chicago, like, for the underage hours, things that was open at like 4 a.m., and then we would come down the block, get out of the car, like put it in neutral and push it back down the driveway so we wouldn't get busted. That's hardcore. Mm. So, you and I were talking shop not that long ago. I guess it was a while ago. It doesn't feel like that long ago. But, of course, I came into this, this whole paranormal scene because I had interest in ghosts and I was out there doing investigations and you were thrown into the magic circle a lot at a much younger age than I. So you took it from more of a spiritual spiritual perspective. Now, when we started talking about some past experiments and we brought our heads together, started trying some things out, I think uh, 
our first major experiment was doing a gay day ritual where we were looking for both photographic evidence and electronic voice phenomena. And I was using a uh, automatic, it's actually a game camera that they use for uh, deer hunting to track where the deer are located. It's, it's IR triggered. So basically if anything moves in front of this camera, it, it goes off. And we had it set up facing the altar. And while we were off to the side, this camera went off three times in succession. And it was at certain times. And, and, and for the people who don't know, uh, Gay Day is, is another voodoo. This is a ceremonial voodoo ritual to the dead. And it went off three times in succession. When we mentioned certain spirits like your dad, uh, I forgot who else. It was like my uh, one of my ancestors. And then we, I mentioned someone else. Literally, I tap and call their names. And the camera kept going off right around the times that we mentioned certain uh, people's names, which was yeah, pretty that's, cool. You know what? I forgot that detail because that had been several months ago. Man, life flies. But, man... I tell you, right now it's a little bit inconclusive because when I went back and I looked at that footage, we had some orb effects. Now, I normally discount orbs. They were really big on the paranormal scene a decade ago. But what we found is that normally when you get these orb effects on photographs, it's light bouncing off of dust particles. However, in this succession of three photos that happen in sequence, we had a very solid orb that was moving from one end of the altar to the other. Now, I find that hard to just discount as being dust because it moved in a straight line. It kept a very solid consistency. And, you know? Well, the first thing is we should really take a step back. That's That was some of the things we've actually found. We should actually say, well, what the hell do we mean by this, right? And really what we mean is uh, most of the time, I think, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, most paranormal investigators will go out to different sites and investigate the sites. This is literally like we're starting from a clean site and doing ritual magic to build up the energy and power of the spirits. Different rituals, various voodoo, ceremonial magic, and then seeing what happens using the techniques of paranormal investigation. Uh, and when, what you just described was one thing where we did several hours of ritual before we had this weird effect. Uh, what I found the most weird about what you're describing actually was that it actually did happen at certain times and not others. It only happened when we actually uh, requested that certain spirits uh, show their presence. And then we got the camera affected mm -hmm. that and that voodoo ritual wasn't all the time and it wasn't there it was after we mentioned certain spirits names we asked them to show show up as much as possible um, well and i think another interesting point of the test we were doing is that we did a rather large a rather long honial angel ritual preceding that had the camera set up above our heads, you know, to kind of so that we wouldn't set it off, we had no triggering of the camera during that particular couple hour span. And no triggering of the camera during the ritual until, as you said, we were asking for certain spirits to make their presences known, and we started to get results. That's right. And, and, and the annual ritual was an 
is another weird ritual, and, and we'll go into a lot more weird rituals tonight, but that was another weird ritual because the thermometer, the uh, infrared thermometers you had were the tip-off point. And we, were, we had some uh, electronic voice phenomenon from that, but it wasn't conclusive, so we're going to present what we have so far and where we're going this year and uh, in, in throughout the whole show. But what was conclusive was the temperature. Um, which was weird, and it was weird because you put a thermometer on that altar that had at least, oh, uh, what, three seven-day candles and like seven tea light candles almost at the same level as the thermometer. Uh-huh. And what, what happened to the temperature during the ritual? It didn't go up. It, it actually went, went down. down. Which was very unusual because that was a that altar was unbelievably hot. I mean, it, it was surrounded by candles. I mean, uh, when we well, were starting, I, we almost burned ourselves because we put so many candles on there. Well, yes, and we're also talking. If if I remember correctly, it was about seven degree temperature variance. That's right. That's right. It was about seven degrees, which just happens to be the like Venusian number. Mm. One of the Venusian numbers seven. Because we had seven candles. Coincidence. Or is it? But I look at it like this. It was interesting because, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm not like a lot of people out there, okay? I'm not going to say that paranormal investigation or ghost hunting is a hard science because it isn't. We use scientific principles. We try to do studies. It's hard to do a double blind when you're working under these circumstances. So it's, it's maybe not truly scientific but what we did do was get the ambient room temperature for man must have been at least 45 minutes before the ritual and it stayed perfectly constant with the lighting of the candles I would have expected it to rise it stayed pretty much constant but once we got into the heat of ceremony it dropped by 7 degrees and stayed consistent until after the ceremony was over that's exactly what happened and I thought that was really unusual uh, and I say I'm not just saying that I mean we had a lot of candles on the altar I would not have expected the temperature to go down around where that thermometer was uh, through the course of the Hanio ritual which by the way if anyone's wondering Hanio is the archangel of Venus uh, who we sometimes call for healing work uh, and does a pretty good job yeah, I figured we ought to throw out there that we actually, yes, we do do angel work. I know that we poke and prod about the Goetia. <laughs> I know, I know. But that's just because it's funny. And, and actually, the Hanyo ritual I put up on my website, uh, we thought we, uh, Jason at first thought, uh, and this kind of tells you about our methods that we're using, Jason at first thought that we had a uh, pretty good EVP, that there was laughter that couldn't be explained. I couldn't hear it, and maybe it was just my ears. I just couldn't hear it, uh, so we discounted that evidence. Yeah, now here's the thing. That was also in the in the thick of that particular ceremony, and I ran it through all kinds of sound filters. I had an audible, a phenomena, a phenomena that sounded like a giggle to me. But the problem is, whenever I tried to clear out the background noise and bring out the actual audible phenomena, the filtering software kept wiping out the phenomena. But I can tell you this much, 
just from my point of view, <coughs> it stood out from the background noise. So, like I said, it's not hard science, but we're going to do what we can to come up with some more of these experiments here in the ongoing year and see what we can do. And there was an interesting couple things that happened in my course of uh, ritual magic that I have since gotten yelled at by Jason, rightfully so, that I should have kept the recordings or something like that. There was one year at Convocations where I performed an exorcism and bound a spirit into a crystal. And there was somebody there who was also into paranormal investigation. And uh, after talking, well, basically talking smack to the spirit that I had bound to the crystal for a good 20 minutes, I, I was drunk at that point. Um, I can admit it. So I was more flamboyantly talking because it, it came into my room. But on the recording, we clearly heard various swear words. When particularly we asked the crystal if it had anything to say for itself, or the spirit in the crystal, and it swore at us, and it was very clear, clear as day. And the people, were, uh. and the people who were there that heard that was like, "Well, that's freaky," you know. And I don't think because I have so many weird experiences, I didn't think, "Oh, we should save that for a future show," which we couldn't play on this on the air because it really did swear at me. If I remember correctly, it said "f you," correct? Yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was one case where we were clearly performed an exorcism on uh, someone bounded to a crystal, uh, and that opens up a whole bunch of experimentation that we hadn't tried yet uh, with hostile spirits of binding spirits, which is a magical technique, binding the spirits to a vessel and then allowing it to speak, which, you know, that was one thing. Other people, I wish I would have gotten more testimonials and or in this case, not testimonials, because uh, it was kind of scary. But at the Corazon ritual that we did also at Convocations, sometimes you could see at Convocations, we just pull out crazy rituals just to freak people out. Because I don't go to that many festivals. Uh, so when I do, I decide, hey, I'm a magician. Let's play. But we did a Corazon ritual, and there was a lot of background noise, but that ritual was so freaky that I refused to actually listen to the recordings of the ritual that I have because people had burn marks and claw marks on their back and there was no way that was possible uh, we didn't even need the equipment uh, to uh, <laughs> show that one uh, there was burn marks, claw marks on people's backs uh, from the ritual itself now, granted, I should say for the record, this was a ritual to bring down our personal tower to cause us to make a better foundation so we could have a new, happier life. And it absolutely worked. We actually did. I have had a happier life, and my significant other has too. However, it was brutally a painful ritual, scary, uh, all the things dark. Uh, but sometimes you need that when you're trying to get rid of patterns and a life of abuse or whatever it was that the people in there, and I warned everyone. But uh, that kind of physical manifestation doesn't always happen, but when you get physical cuts and burns, that's, you know, a really good sign that we were in the zone, as it were. Now, for those that don't know, the good folks up there in Convocation... They draw a tarot card every year when they're planning their event, and that's what they theme that year's event on. Yeah, they themed it on the tower, so it wasn't me just being, uh, you know, me. 
So, but but don't worry, folks. This year it's the moon. That'll be safe. Don't worry. <laughs> um, All right, way to go, Jason. Way to go. No, I'm for, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. I know. I know. Um, but that was interesting because uh, <laughs> this is one of the problems that uh, you have correctly yelled at me about me being a bad paranormal investigator is that uh, sometimes I won't go back and listen to this stuff because the ritual is that hardcore and I just don't want to go back to the ritual uh, and, uh, you know, I don't want to go back to investigation because it might cue a mental signal a memory right. of the ritual. And that, that's kind of a, f- a problem when you're actually involved with the ritual doing a paranormal investigation on the ritual. It's almost like uh, at that point... Yeah, at that point we almost need like uh, other people who are interested in this sort of stuff to contact us because uh, to make it more double blind. Actually, this is true because there's no oh pre what would be the right word, Andrea? You don't have any expectations. Yeah, not going not going to have expectations. Just going to be looking at the raw material for what it is. But I will say this: that is a side project I'm going to take up this year. Is going over that old convocation footage and seeing what I can come up with. Because I don't blame Andrea for not wanting to go back there. I saw what he went through. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's pretty much it. In, a, in this case, actually, Jason is a control. He wasn't at the ritual. He doesn't know what was in the ritual, and so we're going to do that. Uh, that kind of control. I mean, we're giving these examples to kind of, in some way, we have a ulterior motive. And really, that ulterior motive is that um, really the members of the Quantum Life Science Institute, we are more on uh, based on spirituality. And Jason is our resident paranormal investigator. And we're really starting to need for some of the types of experiments that we would like to try with paranormal investigators. We really need other groups to come in uh, who might have some budget uh, to, or if a show wants to pick us up, hey, that's good too. But really, we want to try some more things and have paranormal investigators kind of longing to travel to Cleveland to investigate with us. Uh, it really kind of help do the tech while we're doing the ritual magic. Uh, I mean, that, that's part of the ulterior motive because... Uh, it's really kind of fascinating when you do this. I mean, if you think, if all the paranormal investigators listening to the show think about it, okay, like I said, I haven't seen anyone else doing this kind of stuff who's a public figure. Uh, I see and hear about lots of paranormal investigators who are going out to places where bad stuff happened. It raises a lot of new questions and raises it to the next level if you can do that with ritual magic and get similar effects. You know, I'm going to throw a little verb out there on the ulterior motive slant of things. Uh, you know, if anybody has connections to a fire department, maybe we got some firefighters listening to us. If anybody wants to donate a thermoimaging camera, I would love to get my hands on one of those babies because they cost as much as the car that I drive. And there you have it, ulterior motives. But really, we're looking to collaborate with people on, on this type of stuff. Now, these aren't the only... Uh, things that we've seen uh one of the things that i've also seen and jason has seen at paranormal investigators is expectation effects affecting the actual results which changes the dynamic of a paranormal investigation as well likewise ritual magic has the same kind of effect uh there was a couple cases where you went on where 
one particular person would, uh, and it was a woman, would go on investigation, and if she was there, uh, there would be all kinds of problems, you'd get all kinds of footage. And if she wasn't there, you'd go back and no one would get anything, no one across the board. And, exactly. Uh, and you, you actually, at that point, were starting to get more trained on uh, the metaphysics, the occultism involved, the energy work, and kind of spirit work. And you yourself could see as a medium, as a developing medium and magician, that she actually started to project those things out, like in what we would consider under more controlled situations as uh, evocation, and uh, project those things out into a building that you thought that would be haunted, and you'd get all kinds of evidence, and all kinds of things would go wrong um, in those in that situation, but. When you didn't bring her and didn't feel her evoking it into the space, there wasn't anything, which raises also a lot of questions with um, a lot of questions with the paranormal investigation, a lot of questions uh, about what is actually going on here in some cases. Well, let me say this to clarify. The location we were investigating at that given point in time was paranormally active. It did have ghosts from the past, we'll say. I'm not sure if it was completely intelligent or if it was just shadows from the past, but there was some activity. And I had been to this location before. And I'm going to put credit where credit is due. Okay, it was my original teacher who spotted this person out for being the evocator that she was. I wasn't aware at the time. I wasn't developed enough. I didn't, I'm not the one who pegged that. But my original teacher, he was able to peg her. And then once he explained it to me, I understood. But what was going on was she could walk into an area that had activity and she could either amplify that activity or she could bring outside spirits in and make them manifest. Now the interesting thing is, those of us who do ceremonial magic, r ritual types of magic, and we try to scry or we try to use psychic means to interact with the spirits or see the spirits. In this particular case, people were seeing full body apparitions that were not in a state of gnosis. We weren't in a trance state. We were active and fully alert. Yeah, it's too bad. It's, it's too bad that like when we do the fairy magic because we get the same kinds of things, but they hate technology. It's, it's too bad. You know what I'm saying? Well, and I will vouch for you there because any situation where I have taken technology into a, a, a fey active area, I have not gotten manifestation while having cameras and things present. Now, that's something else you have to realize about spirits in general. They are intelligent. Well, okay, unless it's a residual haunt. And residual haunts tend to be shadows from the past, almost like stone tape theory. A lot of people are familiar with that. It's just these emotionally charged instances that seem to like imprint themselves where they happened and they will photographically reappear and sometimes stuff like that's able to be captured on tape but intelligent spirits if they know what a camera is they might avoid it this is one of the things that's interesting because early on in, in, in my experimentation as a magician uh, I was with my cousin and my, my very very good friend who has left the land of the living, uh, Melissa. And we were uh, in New Orleans. 
and uh, New Orleans, you know, like those ghosts, uh, uh, you know, there's lots of ghosts all over New Orleans. It's, it's a pretty haunted city. And this was pre Kachina. And we actually, there's a ghost uh, by what was the Absinthe Cafe in, in the quarter, uh, but it was kind of a shy ghost. And um, it doesn't come out for everyone. And uh, it's right by the church, right right by Cafe Du Monde. And I forgot the name of the church. The listeners probably will be able to correct me on that. Uh, but it's right by the church in the armory. And right across from the armory, if you look up, there's a balcony where the ghost appears. It's in all the haunted things. And usually you can't get a photo. Uh, but I sat there and I started uh, meditating. Really, really strongly meditating. And uh, I had Melissa take a picture of that balcony. There was nothing there. And I was meditating strongly, trying to communicate uh, and get my intention to the spirit uh, that was supposedly haunting that place. And I said, I promised that two things. I said, first, the pictures that we take, we would never release for money. Uh, we, we, we're not doing it for money. I'm doing it to teach my metaphysical student at that point a lesson a real lesson that this this kind of manifestation is possible and second that we wouldn't release the not only not release them for money but we wouldn't release them at all we keep them for ourselves we could talk about it but we couldn't release them that was the promise i made i've never i've never broken that promise to that that spirit that haunts that balcony and sure enough we had one picture where we took before a couple pictures uh, during, but the moment when I said, okay, take the picture now, we couldn't see anything, but in the photo, there was a black orb. It wasn't black orb, it was like the whole shadowy, a whole shadowy black figure right on that balcony in the film that we couldn't see. Uh, and that kind of goes right to your point that these spirits are sometimes intelligent, you sometimes have to be able to talk with them and really kind of tell them, well, listen, we're not doing it for with that particular one we're not doing it for those reasons again i thought it was just fun you know fun times in new orleans right but a paranormal investigator would have been like that that was more than fun times that was a, a serious i guess because i've been doing magic so long i don't even think of this stuff as weird but that was a serious manifestation on film well and i'm also going to say this that he Andrea, when he deals with the spirits, is very true to his word, and this is what I recommend that we all do. He made a promise. He kept that promise. I've never even seen the photo. That photo stayed between the three people who were involved. Now, there's something about psychic links and spirits being able to follow a link to affect things. There's Okay, everyone's heard the legend of Crybaby Bridge. This this happens in everyone's state, multiple counties in every state. Legend of someone who killed their baby at the bridge, and now they must haunt the bridge eternally looking for their baby. Well, heard a story about this out in Van Wert, Ohio. And some friends of mine went out there several years ago, did some experimentation. <sighs> took some electronic voice phenomena recordings came back with a screaming voice a woman screaming I will not deny my baby um, that's actually you can hear that at ohioparanormal.com my website if you care to but yeah 
blows my mind to this day how powerful that voice was and how it screamed over top the conversation the investigators were having at the time. Well, there's an interesting little story that happened with that recording. I was doing a, a very small festival several years ago, and I put that recording and several other recordings on a CD. I believe that particular recording was track three on the CD. Well, I'm preparing for my presentation, and I've got the CD boombox that was not even turned on at the time. It was just sitting and waiting. I'm walking over to my presentation spot. Halfway there, the CD player turns itself on and plays track three, the screaming voice, I will not deny my baby. Freaks me out. I jump, I have trouble turning off the player. I had to hit stop multiple times to get the thing to shut off. I get to my presentation spot, I get my presentation going, when I get to the electronic voice phenomena section, I go to turn on the CD player. The CD player becomes inoperable. Will not turn on. Multiple times, had to take the disc out, play with it, so I never had any problem with said particular CD player before that incident. I have not had problems with it since. But in my mind, I think that that spirit did not like the fact that I was exploiting its presence, so to speak. So when I say this is something, a lesson about psychic links, just realize if you're dealing with particular types of spirits, hmm... Yeah, things like that, electronic voice phenomena, photos, could potentially allow a spirit a doorway to transition from many miles away to be able to affect you where you're at. Just a thought. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely why I um, would love to get uh, to team up with some more paranormal investigators, and if there's any problems. A lot of times, i got to be honest uh, with you, Jason, when I'm listening to some of these shows and people go on and on and on about how their life went to hell after they went on an investigation for a couple months, I go, you know, uh, day training with Andrea would stop that from happening. Really, because we would go over banishing and all the stuff we do in Ritual Magic that I take for granted, and I really shouldn't. A lot of people don't know it, uh, and I, I think... That's that's why you get these negative spirits where everyone calls them demons and they're not. There's just a lot of negative dead out there that have unrest. And I think, you know, that's why the first, I think, what, ten shows? We talked about banishing because basically, like, uh, to me, that should never happen that you go on an investigation. I mean, none of my students, if they wanted to do paranormal investigation, and I would say uh, any of the Quantum Life Science Institute students, if they want to do a paranormal investigation, like, I would pretty much scream my head off if you came home and got sick because you weren't able to banish and cleanse yourself properly after going on the investigation. Well, what people don't realize is the dead can be dangerous. And, <clears throat> okay, yeah, this negative thing did something to me, I want to label it a demon, but what you don't understand is a dead human spirit that's had especially if it died under bad circumstances and it's had 50 to 100 years of manifesting itself, feeding off of, the, off of the fear of the people who experience it, it can grow 
mature and affect, mm, let's say, consensual reality a bit stronger than a young spirit can. And if it has a negative disposition, it could use that power to manifest not so nice things into your life. Right, and for Emmett's perspective, it has time. It's dead. <laughs> I mean, what's even worse is when you get frat. What I consider fragments of dead, which is often what you get out in the wild, where you have like pieces of personality that are even more, you know, not the whole personality, and and those things kind of cling to you, and and it can cause a lot of a lot of issues. Um, now the, let, let's get let's let's get into that a little bit the the fragment theory, because okay, just the phase value. What I'm taking from this is say. Mm, it must be a little bit more than just the residual idea, the fact that it's just an, a circumstance from the past left behind. You think it's it's an actual fragment of something. Well, from a shamanic point of view, like trauma causes souls to splinter off, and then each one of those like soul splinters uh, wants to exist on its own, so it tries to gather powers. But some of those uh, splinters would probably try to cross over or try to unite with the whole, but others, like shadow parts of personalities, would, could be considered what would be classically called demons. And in fact, you know, when Pope Runyon came on the show, he basically said that goetic spirits were uh, part of our psyche in a way. And a lot of times if you have bad issues uh, when you're alive, you might get a s part of a, a, a person split off. And so it might be the most animalistic kind of hate-filled part of the person. It's not the whole person, but when you encounter that spirit, it it is really, it seems like it's entirely the dead, but it's only a part of the, uh, part of the intelligence that would have been there in life. Uh, and so it's got intelligence, but it's not got the full grasp of intelligence of a normal spirit of the dead or an ancestor. Um, it's kind of like a very stunted uh, person, uh, or it would seem like a person but not act like one in a way. Well, that that is an interesting theory because I look at it like, you know, we do as magicians. There's a lot of magicians out there that work with thought forms, created entities. Now, if you mix this with the idea that a person can psychically leave a residual imprint when they're under stress or traumatic situation, what if what you've left behind psychically during a traumatic situation could form an intelligence of its own over time, perhaps? Well, that's what I'm arguing. Like, if there's enough energy in it. It might not be completely human intelligence, uh, but those things seem to cling, cling, cling to people, in my experience. Uh, one of the things that I did want to talk about is, is the kinds of things we have uh, planned for this year, too, in our experimentation, because a lot of what we're talking about shop also includes that, and um, we should let people in into our little world for this upcoming year of debauchery and electronic voice phenomenon and paranormal investigating of ourselves. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's interesting that you bring that all up. I, just, just such an interesting choice of words you have, Andrea. Debauchery. I know. Debauchery. 
Well, wow. see, I have to, I have to decondition myself, right? Because weird stuff happens all the time. Literally, if anyone has done ritual magic with me, there's so many thing, weird things that happen. I don't even look at it. I kind of think like, did you get a result? Like, literally, did my life change? Is things better? You know, this manifestation is parlor tricks compared to uh, my life or the people that we're doing the healing for uh, having a good healing impact. So I don't even pay any attention to that. I really... Well, there's been an interesting around the blogosphere lately. There's been discussions going on about uh, evocation work and I got strange poltergeist activity during my evocation. That means my evocation worked well. And then the other side of the argument is, did you get what you were trying to get out of your ceremony and all the hard work that you did? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the end result in ritual <laughs> magic is usually not to get poltergeist effects, although that's interesting. The end result is some change in your universe. And if that didn't happen, it was a failed magical working. You know, I guess when we say when we say parlor tricks, we're not saying these things aren't cool. No, no, they're experience. Yeah, they're fun. They're, they're fun. fun. They're right. experiences. But if you're not accomplishing something greater other than <laughs> stroking your fun factor, which hey, by the way, man, not always be a fun factor if things go bad. It might be a fear factor. Why take all that risk and all that hard work if you're not going to get a result out of it? Well, I mean, because I mean, and you. That, that's the more magical perspective from a paranormal investigator perspective, which used to be your perspective, uh, but you're changing over to hang, you hang around with me too much lately, I think. Uh, but now, you used to be very much into getting evidence to suggest that these things wouldn't have an effect upon the paranormal investigation equipment, which implies, and I understand it's not statistical fact, but it implies that it's um, that there's something out there. What that is, we can argue about. Uh, and well, hey, let me tell you about another little experiment I did a few several years ago with, with some friends. Okay, we took into consideration how people's expectations and you're all hyped up and excited during an investigation. Could this actually be creating phenomena? Well, we sat for a half hour around a digital recorder and we all mentally focused on one particular word mentally for a half hour that's all that we did then we stopped recording we turned we rewound and played it back and we started getting blurbs of words we actually did get electronic voice phenomena out of this experiment. Now, they were single word blurbs. We never got the word we were focusing on mentally, though. So this raises this raised even more questions. Were we creating the phenomena? Was our mental focus drawing other things in? Let's just say to be continued. This is something I want to play with more. Which goes right back to what we were saying about what we're going to do this year. So, Jason, take it away. Let the people know what we're doing this year and why they should collaborate with us on, on this year. Well, you know, I, I don't want to act like I'm like such a great pioneer because I'm, I'm really not. I, I see other people's good ideas, and sometimes I like to play with those. Uh, something that's been very popular lately is the ghost box. 
And there are several ways to make ghost boxes. It's, it's basically a radio tuner that you rig up to scan a bunch of dead air channels in rapid succession. So really it, it goes and it gives off a bunch of static. But what happens is people take these into haunted locations. They start asking questions and like real time electronic voice phenomena starts to happen on these ghost boxes. It's, it, voices start to come over the static. I now, think that was actually, uh, I'm pretty absolutely sure that the ghost box stuff was invest uh, was invented by people here on Parax. So uh, I'm sure the listeners know a lot about that. Well, that is crazy cool that if that came from here, because I'm, I've seen I'm, it. I'm almost sure that the pe- people involved with Parax invented that. Okay, well, hey, somebody email us, tell us who they think's responsible, because I'd love to talk to them more about this. But, um... Let me tell you, I've seen it. I've seen it used by many groups now, and something really does seem to be going on. So this is something we're going to play with, but we're not just going to play with it out on the field, going to haunted locations. We're going to play with it during rituals, during actual evocations, ancestor rituals, that kind of thing, and see what kind of results we get with it. I think that there's definitely something that could be found out about this. Or we, go ahead, Jason. Well, I was just gonna say, or maybe nothing, but we'll, we'll find out. Trial by fire. There you go. I think. Uh, I mean, there was the ghost box, uh, which were we both. When I heard that, that was very interesting to me that we could, because uh, we could effectively use the ghost box directly to a, a tape recorded feed, so we wouldn't it wouldn't interfere with the ritual. And and by the way, if anyone. Uh, knows about the rituals we do or have ever been at them it they really require absolute focus so we wouldn't really get freaked out or be able to say oh my god we got something in the voice box chances are we wouldn't even hear it so we'd have to directly record it and come back to it um well you're right now i actually plan on doing it both ways you can do the direct feed into your recording device so that you won't hear it happen in real time but i think we should try it both ways well, there you go. We will, well, we can do that. And then I, I plan... I've always suspected that the higher powers, as it were, like angelic powers, uh, seem to re- respond less to electronic uh, voice and electronics. It seems like the more aggressive lower powers seem to respond more. And so that's some of the experimentation that we actually plan to do to test that theory. Well, let me say let me say this: You are not alone in that way of thinking. Um, hey, our our buddy Jason Miller just said similar recently, and uh, I look at it like this: There's there's something going on where it seems that spirits that okay, if this makes any sense, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Kabbalists out there that that think that this does make sense. Certain entities seem to be closer to this plane of reality than others. You could even look at it as multi-dimensions. The higher entities, the angelic, they seem to be further away from us than the dead are, and some of the demonic spirits are. So, for some reason, people seem to be getting better results with scrying techniques when they're working with the angelics. They can get visual effects and actually have full-blown conversations while using psychic-inducing methods such as scrying. But then the full-blown 
like it's right here in front of me manifestations and apparitions seem to be more of the deceased humans and well you know as much as i hate to say this the 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 demons seem to respond to that more readily as well Uh, aggressive spirits that's usually what i use the term for yeah aggressive spirits probably a better term uh certainly certainly i've suspected and uh that that was the case uh and and certainly we're going to try some of that to get more evidence to suggest what happens in ritual magic the difficulty there is um the real difficulty is is you have to work especially with uh the darker elements and even the lighter elements you really have to have a good connection to the spirit you're working with that isn't you can't just pick up a book and get that uh that's probably why this hasn't really been done because not a lot there is some serious people out there uh who are magicians but often they won't have time to do the same working for 29 days and then on 30th day of of the set of workings actually try to get an evp recording and then do it like a couple days in a row that's a large time commitment a huge, huge time commitment for anyone. So that's like an hour a day. You're working with the same spirit every single day to really build up the connection so you can manifest that spirit more. And then all the ceremonial magicians will argue about what is going on there anyway. Uh, But then after that, you know, you have the added pressure of mm, getting it to work on the, um, the camera or the voice recorder. And let me tell you, even for a ritual magician like me, who's very talented and has been doing this for years, that impartial observer is a tough observer. It is a very, very hard... This is why this is hard. Uh, especially cameras were really hard with me. I, I've been trying to... I got did a Baphomet ritual that we recorded, and we got some weird voice phenomenon in that that definitely was weird. But to get uh, effects with the the camera or the recorder present well to be honest most magicians get a little i don't want to say intimidated but it really does uh, make for an observer that's a hard 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 sell well yeah and i feel what you're saying and i think that's really what's motivating us to try some of these experiments to see if maybe we can get more definitive answers But I think even with even with physical evidence, there's still going to be questions. No, there's always questions. There's never answers. There's just a fun time and more questions, right? Yeah. That's part of part of it. Uh, the other thing is, uh, we got about ten minutes left. One of the things that people often get pretty astounding results on are with is Ouija boards. And uh, sometimes can get information that they normally wouldn't get. Now, personally, oh, did I ever tell you my Ouija story? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. <sighs> well, this was in the context of some ancestor work, actually, where the Ouija, between a friend and I, said that it was my grandfather who's deceased. Now... Having done random experiments with Ouija's in the past, I know that sometimes the information's just flat out wrong, inconsistent. So I start to ask questions. And I start digging for information that I don't know. 
Well, it tells me some information about some relatives that I don't know and have never met. And where they live currently, down to what road they live on, and names. Well, sure enough, I went and looked it up, and it was right. So, I'm just going to say that Ouija is not mm, an evil doorway to demons, as some people like to say. I've seen a lot of people get in trouble with it, though. Yes, because it is a tool of communication. And I think the results you get are directly correlated to how you use the device. Man, you had the hand hand slamming down on that one. I mean, I mean we talked a little bit about this. I mean, that, that seems to be the first thing that people use uh, to get into uh, metaphysics or, or particularly communication with the dead. Um, and naturally, like, I think, you know, Alistair Crowley uh, basically did some experiments, but he basically would put the thing inside of a triangle or other containment fields and then do blessings around uh, the room he was doing this in so uh, lower or lying spirits couldn't get in and kind of uh, lie to you about what was what. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the type of thing that I'm... that. I'm pointing toward um, if you use the device in ritual circumstances where protocol is being followed, okay, to, to make a filter so that you're only communicating with what you want to communicate with, that's one thing. Now, I think the, where people get into trouble, it's like a, a party atmosphere, a game atmosphere where there's no protection set up. They're just getting out the board. They're going, hey, is anything out there? Would anything like to talk? Who's here? And they're leaving the door wide open. And that's where the problems seem to creep in. Would you agree? Disagree? Had any personal experiences yourself? Well, I, I tend to be a little overzealous on my protection in my rooms. Uh, I tend to ceremonial, ceremonially seal and raise the vibration of wherever... I'm doing work, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I would always make sure that, that that never happened. And if I saw someone doing it the way you described, I'd pretty much be like, not interested, I'm a ritual magician, and this, like, irks me. I'm going to go get coffee now. You know, I got I got to spark your memory, though, <laughs> because I seem to recall you telling me a story about you watching two other people work the board, and something strange happened, and I can't remember what. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, I still had protections, and then, you know, and then they worked the board, and I basically took the thing that was on the board from a spirit model and threw it into a bottle because it was lying to us, and then got rid of it. That's probably beyond the scope of the show, but... Yeah, it's, that, those are more of the advanced techniques. Because uh, it irritated me because it was lying to me. It kept being... Giving coherent answers, but in a way, I mean, I couldn't tell if it was... I mean, honestly, I don't know how Ouija really works. I mean, other than it's uh, two people relaxing. Some people can do it, and some people really can't. It's almost like a gestural um, sigil, in a way. like Almost like a gestural mediumship. Like a feeling mediumship, as opposed to a 
uh, hearing mediumship. So, well, I'm actually going to say that in most cases, I think that it it really is just a way to let the person's natural psychic ability. It gives it an outlet and a focal point. Um, because an experiment I've seen several people do that seems so far from what I've witnessed to be consistent. If you blindfold the people working the board and you don't let them see what the board's doing, the board all of a sudden doesn't work right anymore. So it seems like the people working the board have to actually observe where the board's going, which means there is actually, even though it doesn't feel like you're participating, you are participating in yeah, some yeah, way, yeah. shape, or form. You definitely, that's like muscle testing in a way then. At that that, now, that, that does not disqualify the board as just being, you see what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's mediumistic skill being vented through distraction. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, we got about four minutes left. So, some of the things to just reiterate that we're going to do over the next year. Uh, we're definitely going to do lower vibrational spirits and upper vibrational spirits with uh, ghost boxes. We're going to repeat some of the rituals we did to try to get uh, voice phenomenon. Some of the things that we didn't talk about was the physical manifestations we got, like in cemeteries. Like, uh, we actually had one case where we had I don't know what you would call it, string, goo what would you call it? It was the physical appearance of ectoplasm like a white, strainy gooey substance that came out during an exorcism yeah, an exorcism is a strong and, and word I got, it's just... no it was an exorcism and I got yelled at by Jason for that too because he's like why didn't you save it and I'm like the hell I'm going to save that do you know what I just went through like I'm getting the hell out of here, like, which is often a problem with ritual magicians. We know the stuff's bad. We're like, get evidence for this. We want out of here. But three okay. people said that there was that was there that had happened. Folks, I'm just gonna say this, okay? Look up spiritualism and the old time mediums and how they had this gooey white substance, and then look up how people like Harry Houdini went and debunked it. And these and found people who were faking it and creating the substance through like I don't know creating the pace basically and using stage trickery. So I had completely discounted ectoplasm. Ectoplasm is just a stage trick used by fake mediums, right? Until this happened. Yeah, this and was kind of weird. Yeah, and he threw it away. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell that Jason, uh, Mr. Colwell, is not too happy with uh, Andrea about this. I forgive but, but, you. But literally, like, from my perspective, I just did an exorcism in a cemetery to remove somebody's problem from them. The last thing I want to do is save that, uh, pardon the French, uh, save that shise? No, I want to get the hell out of there because that's bad that's bad mojo. Bad, bad, bad. Right? Run from the shiznit, right? That's right. I just well, took the bad look. stuff away. I wanted to leave it there so I wouldn't have to deal with it and the cemetery spirits, okay. they would deal with it. Okay, Andrea, before we run out of time, I'm going to say this. I gave you my example of how I think the electronic voice phenomena created a doorway that allowed a particularly nasty spirit to affect me from miles away. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. That ectoplasm may have carried a doorway to the thing you were fighting at the time. 
Well, it was really the Baron that took care of it. But still, I didn't want any part of it. <laughs> so I understand. So that that's why you're forgiven. I'm just I'm just disappointed at the circumstance, not at you. I know, I know. Well, it's one minute. Next week we'll have Bumble Pat, and uh, that's it for our week. We hope that you enjoy the show, um, and uh, we'll see you this weekend, Saturday, if you're in Columbus at Enchanted Elements. And with that, I'll take us out with the Illuminist, and I want to thank you all for listening. <laughs>